Welcome back to the Hunt to Gather Talk podcast, sponsored by Filson and Hunt to Eat. I am your host, Hank Shaw. Today, we're going to talk about spruce grouse. Yep, fool hens. One of the most maligned, unjustly, I might add, species of grouse there is in the world. These are birds that are perfectly adapted for the boreal forest, and it is an environment that not everybody gets to go to, and it is a very, very special bird. But today, we have on the show two people who are very familiar with spruce grouse. Bailey Peterson, who works for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. She is a spruce grouse biologist, as well as my friend Kevin Kosawan from the Canadian TV show From the Wild. Kevin and I have hunted spruce grouse more than once, and both of them are joining us to dispel some myths and to shed some information on this pretty amazing bird. Without further ado, why don't you guys introduce yourselves, and Bailey, you go first. All right. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm calling in here from northeastern Minnesota up in Two Harbors, um, where my career is as uh, our assistant area wildlife manager for the north shore of Minnesota. So the county's kind of bordering Lake Superior. Um, outside of my professional life, my passion is, is upland hunting, particularly grouse hunting. And up here, we're lucky enough to have spruce grouse as a component of that part of where we live. So you're you're actually a biologist who works on spruce grouse, right? Uh, yeah. So I'm not a research biologist, but I, I'm a habitat manager uh, for the work area here where I live and work. But um, I do spruce grouse uh, surveys every spring. Has the snow starts to melt, we, we do a survey for spruce grouse now um, that's just a couple years old. And then I also help with a spruce grouse research project that we're doing right now. And we can get into that if you want to. Um, it's a pretty cool research project where I actually get to use my pointing dogs to help us um, find the birds for the study. Cool. We will definitely get into that in a little bit. Kevin? Yeah. Hey, Hank. Uh, n- nice to chat with you. Uh, Kevin Coslin. I'm a filmmaker out in Alberta, Canada. I produce a couple wild food series. Uh, one that Hank's been on a couple times uh, called From the Wild, and we have chased spruce grouse on that series a couple times. Um, also produce a foraging series with Les Stroud called Wild Harvest. It's coming on PBS this fall. So I kind of fall into the category of a uh, filmmaker guy who happens to know more about wild food stuff than most people. And uh, I like to describe Kevin as my Canadian doppelganger, although we don't actually look alike because he has very, very impressive hair. <laughs> Thanks, but, That's but great. mostly because we've been <laughs> kind of doing the more or less the same thing. Well, God, is it maybe oh, 13 years now? Yeah, I mean, I remember when, prior to you having, uh, you know, doing any food writing at all. So that would have been 2005, 2008, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a long time, and and we try to we try to either well, so far it's only been me going to Canada, uh, which is fine by me having adventures and, and miss rona has curtailed our ability to do that this year but uh, we will pick it up again you know whenever all this weirdness is passed through amen let's talk about the bird i think there's a bunch of myths involved with spruce grouse and i think there's a bunch of really interesting things about this particular bird and so let me just start off with a bit of an overview and then i want to hear you guys bring this in to, to flesh it out a bit but the thing about grouse in North America is that it's like a chicken for every environment in North America. So no matter where you go, there is going to be some sort of gallinaceous bird. So in the hotter, drier parts of the world, 
basically the American South and Southwest, that is where the quail lives. And the quail is, you can think of a quail as kind of a micro grouse. But north of that area, you start to get all of these different grouse species. So you have everything from the sagebrush sea, where you have the sage grouse, to the Great Plains of the North America, where you have both the prairie chicken and the sharp-tailed grouse. And then in the East Coast, there used to be a grouse called a heath hen, but that thing went extinct ooh, over 100 years ago. And then there's the grouse of the northern forest. And the grouse of the northern forest is the spruce grouse. He shares his habitat with ruffed grouse, who will occupy a slightly warmer, more deciduous-based forest. And the blue grouse, who's going to also be in conifers, but he's also going to be in a bit warmer territory. So the fascinating thing about the world of grouse is that you know, pick an environment and there's either an actual grouse or, or a quail that fits that environment that's native to here. So given that as a kind of a rough 30,000 foot overview, tell me about what makes the spruce grouse's environment special. Let's we'll start with Bailey. Um, that's a really good question. And in some ways, it's uh, around my part anyway, where we're kind of at the edge of their um, southern edge of their range and southern edge of the boreal forest and the Canadian Shield um, is that their cover sometimes isn't special to them at all. In fact, we're seeing a lot of overlap of rough grouse and spruce grouse in the same covers in this area, which is an interesting component to the survey that we just started um, it's a pellet survey, so we walk around in the spring, with usually with snowshoes, as the snow starts to melt, and we can find all the roost, um, all the snow roost sites, and then all the sites where pellets were shed, maybe when a, a, tr a bird was roosting in the trees, and we're finding a lot of rough grouse overlap into what we were considering ideal or prime spruce grouse cover. And so that's just a new component. This is sort of a, just a sidebar, but it's a new component to a maybe a study that we didn't even know about on whether rough grouse encroaching into spruce grouse range would be unfavorable to the spruce grouse. But anyway, spruce grouse cover over here in northern Minnesota is going to look like the kind of impenetrable forest that you have really no inclination to walk through. It's uh, You can't keep your hat on. You can't keep your glasses on. It's thick, thick, thick spruce and pine that is just not very fun, much fun to walk through. That's prime spruce grouse cover. That's what you're going to find in there. There's not a whole lot of other things that choose to live there. That's really interesting. So it sounds like a kind of a conifer version of where woodcock like to hang out. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Because, you know, the old joke with woodcock is that if you can throw your hat and it hits the ground, there's no woodcock around. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, it, it makes sense for from a concealment from um, above. And a, for the spruce grouse, it's also concealment from below. Because when they're up in their thick spruce, either in the canopy or the mid-level branches, it's it's dang hard to see them. Do they like old growth, middle growth, young growth, or all of the above? Oh, well, they don't have a preference for mature growth unless those trees happen to be very close together and still retain their lower, lower level branches. So they, they really do prefer that older, young stuff or the just middle aged stuff, I guess is how I'd describe it. So they're, I don't want to call them lazy because I don't ever want to like discredit them for any of their behaviors, but they, they do um, tend to just hop from the ground up the branches or hop from branch to branch. And that's sort of how they get by and save a lot of energy. I have so, heard that, that, that they, 
they really just of all the birds that we that we hunt, they really, really, really don't like flying. Yeah, which is um interesting and maybe another thing that you were planning to get into later. But an 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 anomaly of these birds is that a lot of dark meat grouse. We we say they have very dark meat because they fly a lot, but these birds rarely fly, and they are of the dark meat variety. Yeah, I mean we'll definitely get into that. So you know, one of the things you mentioned, immediately my ears pricked up because the time that we saw spruce grouse, Kevin and I, uh, we were ruffed grouse hunting. So up in the boreal forest of Alberta, we saw them, I don't know about side by side, but within a mile of each other, right, Kevin? Oh, yeah, easy. Uh, and, and I was thinking the exact same thing, that growing up hunting grouse, that's the um, grouse hunting was the one thing I did regularly as a kid uh, every fall with my dad. And they... Uh, the spruce grouse and the rough grouse are absolutely intermingled. There seemed to be a bit of no rhyme or reason when you might run into spruce grouse versus ruffed, but there was certainly kind of a, you know, like a 10 to 1 or 15 to 1 ratio of ruffed to spruce that you'd bump into along the way. I do uh, agree that the that kind of dense, small caliper spruce tree uh, scenario is uh, where they like to live, but I'd also say that we've found ruffed kind of in that space. And the other thing is, um, although kind of for context, I live in uh, in Edmonton here. We are near within an hour of like a really j- large chunk of boreal forest where it gets really dense for the entire half of, of, the, of a very large province. So we have a lot of boreal forest here. And while I've seen spruce grouse there, I've also seen them uh, on high altitude hikes in the Rockies. So um, we've kind of seen them in, in both those those spaces. Out here in the West, you know, and, and I count Alberta as the West, you see them mixing with both ruffies and with the blue grouse. And it just sort of depends on where you're at. And, I, and I'm trying to get a finger on, well, okay, so if there is a grouse for every environment, is this, do the two exist where the environments bleed into each other? And is there a spot, say, maybe in the, in the deeper boreal forest where there's only spruce grouse? You guys have any idea about that? Ooh, well, <laughs> I have been hunting moose so far back that the oil field guys only fly around in helicopters and don't drive trucks anymore. And we went on one particular trip way back in the bush where uh, the singular bushes, you like to remind me, Hank, <laughs> that uh, we actually did run into almost exclusively spruce grouse, where just for a, a one particular, you know, one trip of two to three days, that's pretty much all we saw. So I'd never really considered that as a, as a thing. But now that you mention it, it, it that has occurred uh, to me in the past. How about you, Bailey? I've spent a little bit of time out in western Montana or northwestern Montana, um, west of Glacier, and there I'm seeing the Franklin's variety of spruce grouse, and it's in a lot of old burned-over areas where lodgepole is regenerating heavily. And I think just the nature of burned-over areas tend to invite the mix or multiple species, so regrowth is really um, attractive to a lot of different species or and, and grouse included in that um here where we'll find both is really on the edge and and in the springtime we will find or i'll hear males drumming when i'm in you know covers that are um for the spruce grouse survey in particularly but that survey is being done on transects it's being done in in their covers in the woods but it is um off of roads just for access ease of access so I'm not deep into their um, spruce type covers, so I, I can't say that I've seen a lot for roughs deep into their covers. But I, I think 
as you get more away from mixed cover and more into single conifer cover type, you're going to end up with more spruce grouse. Yeah, they were, the, and also, you know, the United States, I mean, I bet you there's only a few spots, you know, south of the border where it's deepest, deep and dark enough and, and nasty enough just for the spruces. It's my understanding that, that what you saw on that, in that moose hunt, Kevin, is, is about right. So once you get super far north, but not quite to ptarmigan territory, like it's like a, like a, if you can imagine sort of like layers of color where, you know, there would be a mixed color of, you know, you give a color to rough grouse and give a color to spruce grouse and that would mix kind of where we were hunting. And then you go a little farther north and it's only the spruce grouse color. And then you go even farther north and then it starts to bleed with the willow ptarmigan so as you start to go farther and farther towards the Arctic Circle. And then when you get really super far north, there's no more spruce grouse anymore and it's only ptarmigan. Interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah. And then, you know, then the altitude thing, because it, blue grouse, to my knowledge, only live at altitude. Yeah, yeah, and that's a species I've never seen in my life, to be honest. We, I've really? never seen one here. I think we have them here. I know but I've never have them seen, in Alberta. I've never seen one. Never seen one, not once. Yeah, you know, you'd know it too, because the thing about a blue grouse is you're like, look at that huge, giant grouse. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I've heard about them. I've heard about them plenty, but I've just never been on one. Yeah, so, so spruce grouse, Bailey, correct me if I'm wrong, are generally about a pound and a half, more or less. Yeah, so I was trying to prepare myself for this discussion here, and I was doing a little pre-reading. There's an old book called Fool Hen, written um, by a author out of or researcher out of Michigan from the 80s, and in there was a photograph of um, spruce grouse taken on the northern edge and the southern edge of their range, and on the northern edge they can be about twice as big, up into that two pound. No Wait. way. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, That's maybe. A big ass spruce grouse. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. way. I can't believe Pretty that. Pretty hefty. And then um, down here on the southern edge of the range, um, they, they'd be quite a bit smaller. Yeah, I find there's, half. sorry to cut you off, but I find their body size where we hunt kind of in the lower range of the boreal that they're a, they're smaller bodied even than the rough grouse i would say if someone yep. asked me that's that that's exactly response. what it showed in this book as well um although i gotta say the males i've harvested i i think are a, a little beefier than than the majority of the roughs we're gonna get into the whole fool hen thing like you we talked before we got on the air bailey you they're they're adapted for what they're used to getting away from not necessarily from the hairless monkeys with firearms yeah, exactly. It does take a, a long time for that trend to kind of evolutionarily adapt out of their system, the fear of humans. They're called spruce grouse not only because they live in and among spruces and pines and other conifers, but you know, I think most people listening to this know that in the wintertime, they basically hang out in trees and eat pine needles and spruce needles and fir needles. But it's my understanding that the diet of a spruce grouse varies quite a bit depending on the time of the year. That's correct. Yeah. Hang on to your seats because here's a fun fact. Uh, the spruce grouse uh, in the wintertime only eats needles from a short-needled conifer and their um, gizzard will get bigger and their um, digestive tract will elongate and it can get like three times bigger in the wintertime just to process the amount of food that it needs to eat and to process a diet of only needles. In the um, spring, yeah, yeah, in the springtime, they'll uh, switch over to more greens and um, in the summer, uh, seeds and insects. In the fall, you get um, more leaves and seeds and 
and lingering insects. The juveniles feed primarily on insects, and so they get big fast and gain enough protein to kind of roll into winter in good body condition. Do you know about how long an average spruce grouse lives? Well, that's a good question that I don't know. They're, they're not super well studied, especially over here in the Great Lakes area, but um, I would imagine the average spruce grouse, just like the average any bird, is is less than one year. But I know that like to get a nice male for mounting, it needs to be like an adult bird so you don't get all the pin feathers. And, and so that it does happen, you know, a two- or three-year-old bird. It's not uncommon to find them. You have any idea, Kevin? No, zero. I mean, I've never even pondered that. Um, but as we've chatted about in the past, that's certainly very different than a Canada goose, say. That's kind of shocking, actually, that they don't even live, like, don't even live that long. I'm surprised. Well, I mean, it's just like, I mean, if you imagine, like, the Russians, you know, trying to beat back the Germans at, at, at Leningrad, right? Like, they're just like, most of them die in that first wave, and then, but some of them will live for quite a while. It's like, just like doves, like. Sure. You know, the average dove, if you're just looking at numbers, they live you know, in the order of months. But they're such a plastic species that I believe there have been doves that have been 20 years old in captivity. So, like, they can live that long, but it's a rough life being a chicken. Yeah, every predator is out for you, for sure, including humans. Yeah, I mean, all of the chicken birds. Uh, so, you know, and Bailey, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, too, but it's my understanding that all of the chicken-like birds, the gallinaceous birds, uh, they all have precocious young, which means that like they hatch and then they're already walking around eating, as opposed to like a songbird, which you know the mom's got to feed and the parents have got to feed that that bird for quite some time. And so the the trade off with being a precocious chick, you know, being able to kind of sort of fend for yourself right off the bat, is that you live fast and die hard. Oh no, you're exactly right. They're not left to fend for themselves right off the bat, but they they are. I mean, they are because they they aren't being fed. They're they're being led to good food areas, but but they need to feed themselves. The, there's the reason they have large clutch sizes, and there's also a reason that all eggs hatch around the same time. It's the same with really any prey species. Um, you just get it all out there at once, so that the predators don't get all of them is pretty much the goal is to recruit some for the next generation. And so however you do that, that's really their goal. Do they have to hide in the, in the, in the scrub when they're really young chicks? Cause I'm betting they can't fly right off the bat. Right. That it takes, takes a little bit. I'm not sure how long for a spruce grouse chick to fly, but it's anything like rough grouse. It's within two weeks, but that's why um, really all these grouse species in the forested cover type do take to dense covers when they're young. So one thing that we noticed in talking about diet again is the spruce grouse that Kevin and I hunted, we did it, it was September, right? Yep. Yeah. You know, there hadn't even been snow yet, or if there had, it just been a dusting. I live in California and, and Kevin lives in Edmonton, so I like to send pictures of, you know, the Arctic tundra and label it Edmonton in summer. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you, you razz us good. Um, uh, but, I mean, nevertheless, in all reality, I don't think there had been any snow yet in uh, in, the, in this hunt. I tell you this, those spruce grouse were delicious. And so their diet had probably not, did not include any pine needles at that point. Yeah, and I wanted I think, to jump in there, bud. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I'm actually editing an episode of From the Wild right now, looking at spruce grouse on my screen. And uh, 
we had a couple of people who hadn't experienced them. One person uh, who's a new hunter and then another person from Nova Scotia where you can't hunt them. And so they were both, you know, new palates, fresh eyes on the species, so to speak, uh, food wise. And both of them were shocked at how little it or, or zero it tasted like like uh, evergreen as kind of the assumption is. Now, that makes sense that people think it tastes that way if that is indeed their diet later on in the season. So I get that. But I grew up with people hunting them in September all the time and then still describing them as sprucey or something. And I think it has more to do with the fact that it's a dark meat and not a light meat. And it's not, it's not chicken. They expect it to be chicken and it's just not chicken. So, uh, my, my, just all that to say my experience has been the same that we found them to be completely not spruce needly, uh, when we're hunting them in September here in Alberta. Yeah. The the color thing I want to touch on too, because the the birds that we hunted they were not dark meat they weren't they weren't as light as a roughy but they weren't that dark red that you see at a sharp tail or or the breast of a, of a right. sage hen no i'll agree with like, that yeah the, the, the juveniles i think especially and and if you don't know i mean if the body size looks full then i guess you don't really know if you got a juvenile or an adult without um studying the primary feathers but i think it's more common to have a juvenile with the um, where the breast meat is going to look more like a Hungarian partridge, which is kind of an in-between color, and that has a lot to do with their diet. Yeah, I, I noticed that. And so, I mean, I, then I've talked to my friends in Alaska who hunt them, and they're like, oh, my God, they show me pictures, and it's almost blue. But, you know, they're hunting them in the middle of the snow. Interesting. I mean, we can hunt spruce grouse here, I believe, until January 15th, and we don't generally because it's a miserable time to be out in the in the bush. But... Um, I, that's, that's fascinating to, I, I may go for a late season hunt just to see what these things taste like that late in the season. I bet they are noticeable. I mean, especially if you pluck them, I bet you they're going to be noticeably piney. I want to try that. That's what we've seen here as well. I mean, it, once their diet switches over, um, and I, when I get people, um, get calling me who, who want to come up north to pursue the spruce grouse, that is sort of the time of year that I tell them to come up, come in December, because if there's not too much snow on the ground, when you're walking in the black spruce bog, it's going to be um, maybe a light layer of snow would be ideal. You can see if there's any sign from the birds. Uh, you can see tracks, and then it's just a little bit easier walking in the spruce bogs when um, it's frozen, and you don't have to wear rubber boots and worry about going over. Um, but but you are going to get a, a more conifer-tasting, darker meat at that time. Interesting. I don't know that I would have ever thought to chase sprucies in the dead of winter in the Arrowhead. Like, I mean, I used to live in St. Paul, and the idea of going, even just going to the Arrowhead in January, is frightening. But so for for listeners who don't uh, who don't know what the Arrowhead is, put in your head a the map of Minnesota where it's kind of like a actually kind of looks like a fish collar with that that arc on the one side of it. The top is a pointy piece. That's that's where Bailey lives, and that's called the Arrowhead. And it's it, it like you said, it's the probably the southernmost area where the boreal forest reaches, right? Right. Yeah. And I did tell a lot of people to go and um, pursue spruce grouse up in December last year, but unfortunately, in mid November to late November, we got like two to three feet of snow, and it really that makes that pursuit almost impossible you can do it and you can do it on snowshoe but that's that's a journey for a real ambitious person that's a long walk for a cup of coffee mm-hmm. so hunting sprucies is pretty i think there's four or five states that you can do it so i know you can hunt them in the up 
um, I think, right? Nope, you can't actually. Um, you can't. I don't know how long that's been. I just know Wisconsin and the UP is closed right now. Both of those, it's listed as a threatened species in one of those states. Interesting. But that, yeah, Minnesota is the only Great Lakes state with a season, and I don't know which eastern states have. Season. There are none. There, there are, are none. none. Yeah, so they live in Maine, but so okay, so reel me this, Batman. If I'm out there grouse hunting in the UP in say October, how like what's the easiest way to to not shoot a spruce grouse? <laughs> That's a good question, um, and I have seen that issue on the social media in the past. Um, Unfortunately, so I, I I think it does happen, and especially if people are traveling to hunt and and they don't they don't know the difference. But um they and to be completely honest, I I am sometimes suspicious on whether those birds were shot on the wing if it's a spruce grouse because they are most commonly seen just hanging out on the roads. And if they haven't been hunted, then they have no need for a fear of humans. But there there is some obvious color differences between the males um, of, of the species. The female spruce grouses could be a lot harder to tell apart than the rough grouse on the wing, uh, with the exception of the tail, with the, the banding on the tail for the rough grouse, and then um, the fact that they don't make as loud of a noise when they flush uh-huh. as the uh, rough grouse does. Yeah, I've noticed that like the, the, boys, the, the, the boys spruce grouse are kind of charcoal black with, with white, white bits on them. Yeah, some pretty stark contrast white barring on the chest, and then they have the black tail with the copper terminal bands, or kind of just copper um, tips on the tail. Which is the reverse of a uh, ruffy, which has a light tail and a dark band. Right. All so that I, said, I would say growing up, it was awfully hard to tell <laughs> at some <laughs> points what you were looking at. And for me, uh, we didn't. It didn't matter. You could take five of one species or the other. Uh, or of each, I should say. So it wasn't really something we paid much attention to. It was just about getting getting the bird. But I can't even imagine having to pre-identify the species at 30, 40 yards or whatever if it's in thick stuff. So that's interesting that that's, that's a, an issue. But it's certainly, I can see it being an issue, that's for sure, trying to get that ID right. Yeah, it yeah. did happen to me in the UP of Michigan last year. We were in a tamarack cover type, which you can certainly find spruce grouse in when they still have needles. Otherwise, I don't think there's a lot of real use for them there as far as from a food standpoint, maybe from a cover standpoint. But anyway, I, I chose not to take that shot because I didn't know. It, you, know how the, you know how it goes and you're in thick cover. So it really could be either species. But that's also their nature of escape is, is flushing through thick cover and if you barely get a glimpse. Yeah, I mean, I think probably you you know you alluded to it before. There is a time-honored tradition of uh, of the skillet shot with any grouse. I think if you're gonna whack a grouse on the ground or in a tree branch, you better damn well identify it first. Didn't you used to hunt them, Kevin, with with rifles? Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about shooting grouse on the wing. That's uh, my, until I met you, Hank. I had never shot at a grouse with a shotgun. I mean, we hunted them with twenty twos forever. And the only shame, it's funny how there has to be shame with how you shoot at a bird with, if you intend to kill it, you intend to kill it. And that's kind of how I see it. But the, uh, there'd be shame if you hit it in the body with a 22. So we were always aiming for the head. Uh, and then you came along and said, well, you could, you, I can't believe that you can even hunt them with rifles. Um, and since then I've, I, to be honest, I only hunt grouse with shotguns now. 
um, because they don't blow them up as much as I thought they might. But um, all that to say, yeah, we hunt, we've hunted them with 22s for, for eons, and most people here, I would say, still do. Yeah, isn't that crazy, Bailey? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I've heard I've heard that, and, I, and it certainly is a less wasteful from a meat standpoint, unless, but you're right, it doesn't, it does, unless you're shooting them from 10 yards away, you aren't usually blowing them apart. I've heard of quite a few people that will take a 22 with them into the boundary waters and, and shoot um, whatever grouse variety they come across for uh, the griddle that night. Is that even legal though? Yep, it's legal in Minnesota to use a rimfire 22. Yeah, in which case, by the way, sh- like shooting a bird on the fly is just, or on the wing is just not a, not a thing I grew up with at all. That was, that was absolutely, and actually that was the other thing that you taught me, Hank, is that if a bird flushed, uh, the numbers used to be so good up here when I was a kid that you would just, you know, pass, just move on, cause there's no way you're gonna hit it if it's flying, and then good luck trying to find it. But, uh, I found you were like hunting with the dog. It's just if the thing flushed, that's when you were game on, and you'd go track it down and walk it up and find it. <laughs> which, yeah. which has changed how I hunt them a lot. Our success rate's gone up a lot with that, with that approach to hunting them is, um, I, and I find they give up their cover real quite, quite easily. Actually, most of the time, if you walk in on them, you'll, you'll hear them chirping before they fly or something that'll give you a cue as to where they are. So thanks for that. You've improved our, our, uh, our hunt ratio or our kill, kill ratio. That's yeah. one of the things that's really, um, interesting about the spruce grouse and their reputation as the fool hen is that they're not wary of us as humans, but hunting them with dogs is a totally different story. They are, they're a wary grouse. They don't like, canines they, they're they've been much more wary um and flushing just like a rough grouse with with dogs on the ground so they have to worry about foxes normally right yes like that's the canine that they're trained to, to avoid yeah generally i don't know anybody who's ever hunted them with a dog except you Bailey. so talk to me about like okay so mo- look kevin and i are just going to wander through the woods looking for them with you know 22 or shotgun or whatever but you've got a dog in the ground so how <laughs> does that work it's fairly similar to other forest grouse or forest hunting, so woodcock and grouse hunting with a dog. But for for me and my dogs, the way we work, and this has a lot to do with the research that we're helping with, and um, the fact that in in the springtime we're doing uh, woodcock banding together as well. So my dogs are really keyed into bird scent, not necessarily from the bird itself. They they'll stop. Um, it's not a real staunch point, but they'll let me know when they find bird poop, essentially. So for the woodcock, it'd be splash. And for the grouse, it would be their pellets. And uh, I learned in our research study that we're working on that a spruce grouse poops out a pellet every six minutes because they eat so much. And so there's a lot of pellets <laughs> scattered five, out throughout the woods. Not ten, but six minutes. <laughs> six minutes on average. Wow. And so my dogs are actually, um, now they're starting to like linger around like a base of a tree with a lot of pellets by it because that's a lot of scent coming off of those birds or maybe those birds were down on the ground prior and I just didn't know I I can't pretend to know what the dogs can smell because it's obviously just a lot better than anything that we can pick up on and so that's how I know that we're getting into good cover but both of my dogs are um, kind of of the tracking variety so they just put their nose down and uh, work up a bird's um, scent, and, and they're both very cautious. And so they they'll stop, they'll stop when the, where the bird stops, and then they'll stop. And uh, if in the spruce grouse, they don't run off a point like a rough grouse will, but they certainly will wander 
or they'll hop up into branches. And, and so one of mine's better at pointing them in trees than the other, but every bird tells kind of a different story. So I, I don't, I don't know that I've figured it out totally yet, but that's kind of how it goes. And, and they do often get, um, they, they get overpressured just like a rough grouse or a woodcock would, and they'll flash if they feel threatened. But the thing about the spruce grouse is they're just going to go up into like a mid-level branch because a red fox, which probably used to be their main ground predator, they're, they're also pretty heavily preyed on by aerial predators. But the red fox doesn't climb trees. And it's only up until um, more recently that uh, the gray fox is has moved north in, into the southern edge of their range as well. And, and they can actually climb trees a little bit. But that being said, foxes aren't, a, they, they are a predator, but they aren't out pursuing spruce grouse, I don't think. Yeah, I was going to say we have lynx here uh, in higher numbers than usual. And there's definitely uh, cougars here too. So I'd be surprised if they weren't getting chased by cats. Yeah, it's another thing that we're, um, a component of our annual spruce grouse survey is looking at um, spruce grouse pellets on the ground. We're also identifying rough grouse pellets on the ground, and we're also identifying um, hair pellets, presence of hairs, um, and, and how much hair. And then we can kind of see if if the presence of hair is more abundant in more of those mixed um, conifer and deciduous covers, or if it, what's the presence of hair like in the very, very dense um, conifer cover. There might not be enough food for a hare in those kinds of covers. Ah, uh, okay. So snowshoes, you mean? Yep. Because, uh, yeah, you have lynx in the arrowhead, right? Yep. I have never laid eyes on a lynx in person. Oh, okay. Pockets of bobcats, but never never a lynx. They're so fairly elusive, uh, although when you do see them, or when we have a, some kittens, like they tend to hang out on the road and let you actually get a picture of them. The bobcats okay. tend to be more skittish, but there aren't, there are not a lot of them. Yeah, we've 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 had some amazing photos and film of footage of lynx the last couple of years where we go. For some reason, they just started to show up, and uh, like you said, when they just don't care that we're there, a lynx does not care at all. They'll just dawdle. You can talk to them and whatever. It just doesn't spook them and nothing. They get pretty big too, like fifty pounds, right? Yeah, they're a big cat. They're a tall cat. Yeah, very tall with big, big, huge, goofy feet. Yeah, and just kind of on that, I you said, mentioned fox is like a primary predator. Uh, I can't say I've even never seen a fox out where we hunt. So, um, coyotes, wolves, that kind of thing, would those be predators, Bailey? Probably. I think um, the the biggest predator to a spruce grouse is probably a nest predator. So that's going to take a bigger toll uh, on a population than than popping an individual bird every once in a while. But again, I don't think that anything like it's more of an opportunistic predation than something seeking out spruce grouse in particular. Okay, so on the nest side, would that include things like fishers and martins and the weasel family? Yeah, it even will include things like a red squirrel. Oh, okay. And definitely ravens. Yep. Oh, okay. I'd like to take a moment to thank Hunt to Eat for sponsoring the Hunt Gather Talk podcast. Hunt to Eat is a casual hunting and angling apparel company based on community, real food, and conservation. Head over to hunttoeat.com and check out the Hank Shaw t-shirt collection. You'll also find wild game recipes, hats, and other kinds of gear, including aprons with the Hunter Angler Gardener Cook logo on them. If you use the code HANKSHAW at checkout, you will get 10% off your order. Thanks again to Hunt to Eat 
and back to the podcast. I have heard great stories of a flock of spruces in a tree and some dude whacks his whole limit out of the same tree and the spruce guy's just like, what, what happened to Louie? And like Louie's on the ground, right? And I did that like, last year. Oh my God. It's just the weirdest thing. It makes you feel terrible. Yeah. And it's also why the, the bag limits are so small. Thank God, because like you just, you could seriously put a, put the wood to these birds. If there was like a limit of 10, that would be, which would be terrible. But yeah, yeah. We've certainly done that where they just all flush up into the trees and just if sometimes you get lucky and see them all and they don't, they don't fly anywhere when, as you start shooting. But I mean, yeah. rough grouse will also do that sometimes, but I would say spruce grouse, you know, are a little worse at figuring it out. I'm pretty sure I'm, you'll never get a rough grass to do that in Minnesota. Oh, really? I've, I've, with 22s as kids, you would get multiple, he- like shooting for the head. If you missed, it was okay because usually you'd get another couple shots before they would walk off and do something else. They just didn't care. You see, this is the thing, like Western rough grouse, especially, they're kind of dim where, you know, Bailey and I have hunted rough, rough grouse, like in the arrowhead and they're super lucid. Like, it's an entirely different bird once you get from, like, Minnesota all the way to Maine. Just a different bird. That's interesting. I, I always get a little offended when people talk about how easy it is to hunt rough grouse because this is not easy. And I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's a pursuit, so it's really – it's fun and it's special and it's one of my favorite things to do ever. But I would like to see some of those western birds and, and really see what they are like. You need to because it's going to be – you know, do it after – do it after you've had a, a like a typical, you know, butt kind of, grand, you know, Grand Rapids, you know, bo- you know, Canadian border Minnesota hunt where the typical shot, Kevin, is you hear a flush behind you. So you have to pivot, pirouette, figure out where the sound's coming from, shoot in its general direction and listen for the flapping that see maybe if you put a pellet in. Oh, wow. Yeah. You might be disappointed if you come here because we would just show you one and you'd shoot it and they'd be done. <laughs> that yeah, doesn't sound like any fun. More. Yeah, that, well, yeah. And we've had, I don't know why, uh, I know gross populations were like crazy off the hook when I was a kid, and then they went down for probably almost 20 years. Uh, but boy, the last few years have they been back, like where we're shooting limits of birds without even, tr- we're not even grouse hunting, we're looking for other stuff, and you're bringing home limits of grouse. Wow. So that's, that brings up the question. Um, are, are spruce grouse populations cyclical the same way that rough grouse are? Huh? As far as the well-documented 10-year cycle? I don't think so. I think that they're cyclical in the nature of habitat quality and abundance, jack pine, spruce cover types that they inhabit here are fire-dependent or used to be fire-dependent, and so I would I would say they 100% were cyclical based on um, fires that happened uh, either regularly or irregularly back through history. But now with timber management, I think there may be just a little bit more stable. And the unfortunate reality of climate change is that their um, their habitat could look different. And, and so it's hard to know what whether their population will be stable or, or, or decreasing and, and what is like the new norm as far as population levels or, or high population versus low we don't know because we don't have a good grasp on what the population is we do a a survey every year or every few years of small game hunters or grouse hunters and this spruce grouse is kind of just a byproduct of rough grouse hunters and so it's really hard to determine a population based on the reported take of spruce grouse so this survey that 
we've been in the we're in the third year of it now is is hopefully gonna gonna tell us what the population is like um but we don't really know we we have it pretty well documented for hair and therefore links and then what we used to think was a 10-year cycle for rough grouse here in the um, great lakes or at least in minnesota but even knowing that that has changed with increased precipitation and and decreased hatch success so it's really hard to say Hey everybody, I'd like to take this time to thank Filson for sponsoring the Hunt Gather Talk podcast. As you may know, I wear their gear in the field all the time. I love their vests. I love their outerwear. Their tin cloth jacket is awesome. And as upland game bird seasons are approaching, definitely take a look at their collection of gear. A lot of it is new. A lot of it has been around for decades and all of it is super, super high quality. If you are in the market for something to wear on your upland hunt this fall, Absolutely check out Filson. I can totally vouch for them from personal experience. Filson was founded in Seattle in 1897 when they started outfitting prospectors for the Klondike Gold Rush. And ever since then, they've been committed to creating best-in-class gear for the world's toughest people in the most unforgiving conditions. So tell me about this survey, this, uh, this research that you're working on. The research project that we're working on is really interesting. It's uh, pegged to look at spruce grouse populations that are spruce, spruce grouse that are currently living within timber stands that are going to be harvested. So we have this list of timber stands that are going to be harvested. So they'll be clear cut. That will go from 100% forested to a wide open area. And we are we want to see where those birds go. How far do they need to travel to find their ideal cover because obviously the birds that are in there now feel like it is ideal cover so we're looking at we we take our there's a bunch of volunteers with pointing dogs and we kind of we we base ideal cover based on you know just the cover type itself so we don't know for sure that it's ideal cover so we're we're scouring these stands with our dogs and looking for either for sign or for birds and if we find birds um, we'll put a radio transmitter on them, and then with any luck, they'll still be alive when timber harvest occurs, and we can see where they go. So it's a really neat project. That, like I said, they haven't really been studied all that well over here, but it should give us a lot of information to inform like management decisions for timber harvest, but also just to know a little bit more about the birds and the habits. Um, there's sort of a, a weird bird. Like I said, they haven't been studied super well over here, but they're they're not like a rough grouse where you can just survey them based on a like a noise that the male makes or like a drumming survey or like for the woodcock the singing ground survey they they don't make a vocalization or they don't do it regularly i think there's a call called the cantus call that you can use um like a playback method for a certain variety of spruce grouse, but we tried that and it doesn't work. It might work like up to 30% of the time. And so that wasn't an effective method to survey them. We tried dogs and that wasn't a very effective method to survey them either. So we moved to the pellet survey, which is sort of similar to how we used to survey for deer um, in Minnesota long ago, but we uh, just survey the same transects every year and look for poop and if we find more than we found more than last year we don't it's still in its infancy so we don't know a lot about whether the population is fluctuating or staying stable yet but we hope to i think it's really interesting that a bird that is pursued more by humans is more studied so the glamour bird in the grouse world is the roughy and so there's all kinds of studies in rough grouse 
then you know you get the second glamour bird of the rough grouse which is the sage hen and it's because you know the sage hen is a gigantic and b you know it's it's threatened pretty much so there's this twin motivation of it. it's a major prey species is one and two the you know it's a charismatic megafauna and the other and the spruce just kind of isn't you know it just he's he's just kind of there and he does his thing and I, I did a, a pretty quick search on, what is it, Falcopenis is their Latin name? And yeah, there isn't a whole lot of, of data on them compared to the other birds. And it just is it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. Right. It's like their reputation is the same as their secretive nature. I don't I don't know. Now, I know talk- that's interesting because to me on the food side, you know this, Hank, that there's some species that people get obsessed with eating, whether it's because they are tastier or not. But we just tend to, I don't know, chase certain species at the exclusion of others. So, I mean, this is kind of no different. I find that research that you're doing, Bailey, fascinating, the idea of actually tracking the displacement of of wildlife uh, in the event of a clear cut. Boy, does that make me wish that we had that research being done on, on all the species that that would inhabit that forest, that we under, better understand the impact that we we have when we go take that kind of action on uh, on the forestry side so really cool to hear that you're doing that i agree it is it is super cool and it's pretty new and uh it's just uh i feel lucky to have the opportunity to to just to help with it i think one of the reasons why from a a hunter effort perspective is because unless you like you're talking about your moose hunt unless you are really 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 deep in the boreal you're going to find spruce grouse and another grouse whether it's a ruffed or a blue grouse or some other kind of a bird. So I was in Talkeetna, Alaska, and there were spruce grouse mixed in with willow ptarmigan. So you know, there's often another bird there. Because of their eating reputation, which you know I think we can kind of all agree is undeserved, the, they're the lesser of the, of the chosen species. So there's this kind of, ah, it's just spruce you know, really Yeah, for sure. Rough. I hear that we're, all the time. You know, you've seen me pluck spruce grouse and rough grouse. I'll actually say that it's easier to pluck a spruce grouse than it is a rough grouse. Okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that, but, uh, but I'll take it. I'll take your, I'll take your word for it. I have to think that this is one of those deals where there's just this human tradition of, man, it's not good because somebody ate a really nasty, like three-year-old rooster that had been eating pine needles in January and and then cooked it bad. Yeah, yeah, and, and then, then overcooked it. it. Exactly. And I think Hank, that's where one of the things that I learned hanging out with you. Um, I I've got onto sharp tail here in the grasslands in the last few years and um learned that they they neither are like a ruffed grouse. And if you expect, I think if you're chasing birds, uh, grouse in general, and expect them all to taste like a chicken, you're going to be disappointed. I think a ruffed grouse can kind of come across that way from time to time. But often it doesn't. It can have that that twangy, unique flavor that it can have. So I think the general problem is that people approach a spruce grouse as if it's supposed to be a domestically raised, domestically raised barn chicken. And voila, ta-da, it's not. You have to cook it more like um, a, a, a year-and-a-half-old white-tailed deer rather than the, the chicken you bought at the grocery stores. And that's and people just – that's where they trip up and fail is just the assumption that it's, it is something that it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think this this confuses most uh, bird hunters. I mean, it definitely confuses the people that bird hunters are serving. The thing about grouse that I love and that 
I think all three of us love that is fascinating from a culinary perspective is that there's no equivalent. Like when you talk about the flavor of a spruce grouse, which is raining from very piney to slightly piney to funky to and it's dark, but it's not that dark. It's 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 the legs are are firm, but they're not like a turkey leg. And you find yourself grasping for weird straws when you're trying to explain to a civilian what this thing tastes like and then when they taste it they have no frame of reference exactly yeah so it's like i don't know what this tastes like it doesn't you know the lack of a frame of reference to my mind makes these birds extra special agreed but to most people that's scary and offensive and they would knee-jerk not like it i think or, or to many people and then and then compound on that that they've probably already overcooked the crap out of it just like there have been a lot of studies on the biology of this bird there's probably been zero studies on the food safety of this bird, but I can tell you from at least American CDC data on all food poisoning. When I was writing pheasant quail cottontail, I did is I went back 15 years of data looking for any kind of upland bird food poisonings, and there was one case of somebody getting listeria from quail, but they think that was a, that happened once the bird was out of the woods. So in theory, you could probably eat medium rare spruce grouse if you wanted, but with my limited experience with spruce grass, I like them kind of medium well. So like an interior temperature of about 150 on the breast. So 145, 150. So it's not quite, it's not cooked like a chicken breast, but nor is it cooked like a duck breast either. Somewhere in between. Yeah, fair. I'd, I'd again agree with that. Um, just out of curiosity, where would you take a sharp tail in that? Or where would you put sharp tail in that space? I put sharp tail in the, in the duck and dove space. So yeah, okay. I, I actually do cook sharp tail grouse breasts medium like 135 140 interior i like them pink yep me too how about you bailey i think for the most part if i'm plucking the birds they're first of all they're going to be of the lighter meat variety or a really good shot or else i tend not to spend a lot of the time or if i'm like for the the franklin's uh, variety when i've been out in montana that's going to be that meal like right now and so those tend to get more diced up and cooked because uh, it's a camp meal yeah yep exactly but um, on the roasted birds and i do like to put them side by side with a roughy when we do that just for kind of fun and we're cooking pretty much 100 percent on like a traeger pellet grill so they're getting rubbed a little bit and they're going to be pretty much roasted to temperature like a roughed wood and so i don't i think it'd probably be on that medium well scale i don't, I don't know i mean to me, and I'm not like you guys, a professional <laughs> chef or anything, I'm not pan frying a breast and cutting, like slicing it to see that color like I would with like a venison steak or something. So I don't really know. I, I would think more closely to closer to the medium well. So when you put them side by side, is there, uh, do, you, do you notice any patterns of how people react to the two different birds? Well, yeah. I mean, there's just that notion that that darker meat grouse isn't going to taste as good and i do like to do it because i do like to surprise people and i'm not 100 percent sure where the reputation that something that tastes piney is necessarily a bad thing i mean we make we i mean you, as they buy rosemary to, at the grocery store yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> or drink like a spruce tea or a labrador tea like people like that flavor sort of in other things but they certainly like that smell and um like 
I picked up a roadkill deer one year, and that was the piniest tasting thing I've ever had. But I don't, I didn't feel like that was a bad thing. We get that with sagey things out here in, in my part. Yeah, of the same reputation. Oh, that's a sagey pronghorn. I'm like, awesome! It's pre-seasoned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a question for you, Bailey. You've mentioned a few times um, the different varieties of spruce grouse, and this isn't news to me. So, what different types are there? Well, um, the Franklins. And then the Canada and the Franklins, I think, is just uh, more that mountainous type. And and then the Canada is what we see in our dense spruce and jack pine. And I'm not exactly sure what kind of um, trees they're hanging out in up by you. But I would assume those are the Canada subspecies that you're not in the Rockies necessarily over there, are you? Uh, no, but I mean, sometimes, but primarily not. So I would assume we're seeing Canada uh, when we're hunting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I don't never... know that they're different it, it, um, from a flavor standpoint. I don't know if a jack pine um, diet bird tastes different than a lodgepole diet bird, but I, I I don't know. They just split them, didn't they? Like they actually said that, you know, in 2014 that Franklin's is a different species. Subspecies. Subspecies. Okay. Yep. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I have some homework to do. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's probably because uh, there's there like there are probably some morphological differences. Like I, if I remember right, the Franklins is darker, uh, and then they also like they like they like mountains too. Yeah, I, I, there may be a difference in size, but I don't again don't know enough to say that for sure. Yeah, if I, I if I remember my reading correctly, there's five subspecies, and the two that are have the different the biggest difference are the the, the Canada and the Franklins, and there's like weird. I think the fall under the canada yep yeah like there's two different subspecies like one that only lives in southeast alaska and like there's one that lives in interior alaska and the yukon okay so sorry to railroad that conversation about because we kind of derailed from the culinary side which i'm keen to go back to um hank what are your thoughts on the uh the notion that we probably should cook spruce grouse with like pair it with different flavors uh, maybe than what people might think about if they shoot a roughed grouse or same thing with, with a sharp tail that you might want to choose uh, different flavors to pair with that meat. Is that something that you would recommend? Yeah. I mean, it's, this is just the same way we we're talking about the fact that, that these have, there's very little point of reference for these birds other than the environment in which they live. So, you know, it's just the same thing with like a sagey pronghorn. Go with what God gave you. Rosemary, if you got rosemary, but I like working with spruce tips i like i make a pine cone syrup that you that glazes of spruce grouse really really well so the short version of that is you take small very fragrant green unripe pine cones and i've done it with a couple species but i mostly do it with opinion pines here in california and you bury them in sugar and the moisture in these cones will melt that sugar over time and it creates this amber syrup where the only liquid in the syrup came out of the pine cones. And it's one of the most aromatic, beautiful things I've ever worked with. You glaze a roast spruce grouse for that, and it's pretty close to a deathbed meal. Wow, interesting. I made uh, a liqueur out of black spruce cones this year, and it was shocking, shockingly lovely, the, the flavor vibe. Okay, so uh, then just to kind of keep on that, how would you... How would you differ your approach to the to like a mild roughy versus uh like a late season spruce grouse? What would you say the rough grouse would play nicer with? I always associate rough grouse with deciduous forest. 
So I'm always associating them with more berries and nuts than I would a spruce grouse. So I'm going to kind of lean more towards beech nuts, uh, hickory, you know, even acorns. And then you've got all of the fall berries that exist in the in that area. Now, the only real berry I'm probably going to associate with the spruce grouse, and this is maybe more sort of bluegrass territory, is the rowan berry, the mountain ash. If you're in the super crazy piney area that I'm used to, that's your primary berry that's going to be around when sprucees are. And the, the, the other one that kind of is a leaner between the two is the, uh, the highbush cranberries. So the highbush cranberries work really well with both roughies and spruce grouse. I'm willing to bet that if you did a, a food habit study, both birds eat them. Okay, back. That's to you, Bailey. I want to know what kind of berries would a spruce grouse eat? Yeah, no, you're exactly Hank's dead on there. Um, but we do have uh, the bog cranberry and the black spruce bogs up here also. And then the uh, there's some smaller variety of blueberry that they'll actually eat the leaves and the berries on those. I forgot. That's right. You're in actual real cranberry territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are here too. We have bog cranberries and they are sublime. I, I've fallen deeply in love with that that little plant. Hard to find, but you mentioned spruce bogs earlier. And so that, that does make sense. How about things like lingonberries and cloudberries, those kinds of things? Not down here. Okay. Yeah, lingonberries are, are tough to find. Because remember, I misidentified Kinnikinnik for, uh, for lingonberry that first time. Yeah, yeah. And what about all the other little guys like bunchberry and all those and, and Kinnikinnik? They don't, they're not after those? Uh, I think bunchberry, we do have those here, but that's um, those are ripe right now, and I guess I don't know for sure. I'm, I'm sure they do. They're heavily after fungi right now in our woods, um, so I guess you could play to that, but I'm I'm not a super expert on those either. Fungi. I had read about that, that, that spruce grouse eat mushrooms. And so yeah, that's I just in on that a little bit too, actually. started If I see a, a mushroom that has a lot of... Um, like little peck holes in it, then start looking up. Oh, Maybe. you can see the peck holes and everything. That's pretty cool. That is cool. I didn't know that. That's a great hunting pro tip. Look Love for it. Pecked, pecked mushrooms. Like normally you see mushrooms with little bites out of them from squirrels, but that's that's a good one, Bailey. I kind of want to wrap it up a little bit soonish, but okay. If somebody wanted to hunt spruce grouse, so there's two two kinds of people I imagine who would hunt spruce grouse: people who live where spruce grouse live, and people who want to you know, get that experience of going to a, a different and, and unusual environment. So first of all, where would you tell somebody to go if they were going to hunt spruce grouse? And then do you have any tips on, okay, I'm in a general environment where they should live. Now what? All right. Um, most, most often around here, we're, we're going to get the destination hunters, the people who are looking to pursue them specifically. Um, and don't, it is definitely a hunt that you can make too easy for people if you have the local knowledge to do so. And so I will give them all the information I can about their cover types and preferred habitats. And, and then I'm going to send them to an area and I might, may or may not give them specific roads because, um, like I said earlier, the, the nature of those birds, they're picking grit for, like I said, they're, uh, as the season progresses and they start to switch to a needle diet, they're going to, they're going to be picking more grit to grind down those needles that are going to be a, a lot harder to digest than, um, you know, a, a soft berry or a mushroom. So 
anyway, they spend more time on the roads and, and they may be doing that on the colder mornings just to get some sunshine too. So I, I, I'm hesitant to send somebody who's looking for a pursuit to, to a road that they're going to be sitting on, but that's not really up to me and that you can't pretend to know what they're going to be doing all the time. So I'll send them to good habitat and, and tell them exactly what I, what I mentioned earlier about the, their preferred cover being so thick that you can barely walk through and, and just spend some time in those stands. Look for, look for sign. You might get a neck ache if you walk around staring up in the trees all the time. Look at the bases of the trees and look for, look for sign that way too. That's worked that for me. They're, they're roost pellets. So yeah, you can Google it and see what spruce grouse poop looks like. It, I mm-hmm. mean, you, if you've seen rough grouse poop or like a, you know, when the snow melts in the spring and you see these big piles all over the place, uh, from where they had been hanging out in a snow roost for a long period of time, it's pretty distinguishable. It's a lot like, uh, when I squirrel hunt, I'll listen because you, you're, you're super correct about like getting a neck ache. So what I do instead is I listen real careful and I look at bases of trees to see because squirrels are messy eaters. And so they drop everything at the base of the tree that they're in. That's a good way to protect your neck when you're, uh, when you're, you know, trying to hunt something that's up in a tree. Yeah. And I just so, Googled spruce, spruce grouse poop. I totally recognize that from being in the I, I had no idea that that's what that was. So thank now you. Know. Now you know. Uh, how about you, uh, Kevin? Uh, honestly, I don't, uh, never has it ever crossed my mind to take somebody out specifically for spruce grouse. Um, other than maybe yourself, Hank, when you were here, I mean, we weren't even specifically targeting them. So, uh, that is a new thought to me, but if I had to, uh, we'd, I'd come back now that we've talked about, it, I know exactly what you're talking about with that, that really super dense, um, is it usually black spruce or is it white spruce that gets that dense or both? Um, it can, it can be white spruce, but, um, white spruce doesn't grow real well in plantations up here. It's more of a mixed, um, cover type. And so it can be white spruce, but it, it does tend to be more jack pine, um, pure jack pine stands or pure, um, black spruce or mixed spruce stands. And I, I mean, I have seen them in some nice, younger, medium aged red pine stands before, and sure. I have seen red pine needles in their crop which looked like an accordion they were folded up three times but it is not a food that is like associated with them or considered to be part of their diet so to go back to that the boreal uh, where we hunt i would just tell people to chase those really really dense thickets um because that's the, that's the best i could do and from there it's just a matter of uh you know, like you said, it's just a matter of tripping on them. I don't, I don't think there's any gimmies because we're not hunting with dogs. Um, there's, there's not getting on sign and, and tracking them down is not really a thing. So it's just a matter of us happening upon them. So you make me feel like a bit of a poor hunter on that front. <laughs> it's just a, a hunt of coincidence, really. Well, well the, no, the I, don't, I don't mean to do that. We, we just, we have probably way less population than you do. We need every resource we can. Yeah, sure, it's totally sure. true because I think the limit in every American state is three or less. I'll, I'll double check that for those for the show notes. And the limit's five in Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. Ours is just combined in with our rough grouse total of five. Our, ours is not combined. Oh wow! So we, you can get five spruces and five rough grouse. Dang! Isn't that a great one? Well, that's very. It's been very, pretty cool. I actually we, we talked about spruces a lot longer than I thought we were going to talk about spruces. I mean, you think Sorry. about this. 
No, no, it's great. I mean, you think about this bird as like a like a, an afterthought in upland bird hunting, and there's a lot more to this this animal than I think many people realize. I hope so. I have a correction. Spruce grouse possession is 15, and ruft is 15, and they are not combined. So you could actually have 30 birds on you here. Well, only yeah, but it's a but it's that's possession limit. That's, that's not possession. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Like as an upland bird hunter who likes to eat upland birds. The idea of coming home with 30 grouse was just kind of epic. (laughs) I've done it. That's what we did when we were kids. That's the hunt we went on. That's what we came home with. Canadians. So, yeah, so I think the the takeaway is go to the Arrowhead. Idaho is also quite good for um, spruce grouse hunting, and they have a season. Washington has a season, but their habitat's a bit limited. And that, that upper western corner of montana where that that's where that franklin's grouse lives that has a bunch of them too and i believe you have a three bird a day limit there but really it sounds like the the place you want to go for a boreal grouse is the boreal forest and 99 percent of that is in canada so before we go tell everybody um how they can get in touch with you and how they can follow you on social media and all that kind of good stuff uh let's go bailey first my instagram handle is Bailey01. Otherwise, you can find me, Bailey Peterson, at Facebook. If you're looking to contact me about going out um, where you should go grouse hunting in Minnesota, you can find me through our info center, DNR, or, or I think you can probably type my name into the search window on our website, Minnesota DNR, and get in touch with me there. Most people in wildlife know that I'm the grouse hunting nut. Awesome. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well. Kevin? On Instagram, Kevin Kossowin, uh, K-O-S-S-O-W-A-N, and then uh, also at FromTheWildCA. Uh, and FromTheWild.ca is the website for the series that you've been on, Hank, with us, uh, where we do actually some gross cookery, and the episode coming out in the next few weeks will be exactly about that. And what else? I guess um, on Facebook as well, Kevin Kossowin on there. Thank you guys for being on the show, and I will have all of that stuff written down in the show notes, along with pictures of grouse poop and uh, <laughs> some links to some studies and, and a couple of grouse recipes as well. So again, Kevin Kasawan and Bailey Peterson, thanks for being on the Hunt Gather Talk podcast. Thanks, Thank Hank. you so much. Well, that's our show for this week. I am your host, Hank Shaw. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Hunt to Eat and Filson's once again. And don't forget to follow me on social media. I am at HuntGatherCook on Instagram. I am also HuntGatherCook on Facebook. I run a private group there, which you have to answer some questions to get in, but tell me that you listen to the podcast and I will get you in the group. It is all about improving your abilities to cook and prep wild foods of all kinds, not just game birds. And as always, the core of what I do is my website, which is Hunter Angler Gardener Cook which you can find at honest-food.net or hunttogethercook.com. Everything I do is based off of that, and you will find literally thousands of wild food recipes all over the site. Take care, everybody. Have a good season. I hope you are safe, you shoot straight, and you eat well. Again, I'm Hank Shaw, and talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.